Hey everybody, welcome to the Abstract Podcast, conversations about ideas that matter. This is episode 9, talking about March Madness, free Krispy Kreme donuts, miracles in the multiverse, and things that have been very, very faithful for a very long time. Stick around. David, how's your bracket looking? <laughs> well, I mean, it's not good. I don't think I've ever been like, ooh, my bracket's doing really good. But uh, we made a bracket competition with the Abstract Podcast, and there are 15 entries. I think really only 13, because the bottom two have scored no points, mm-hmm. so I think they didn't really ooh, enter. Tough. So we actually have, it's no, it's 14 effective entries, and I'm sitting at number 13, so it is not, it is not mm-hmm. looking good. Not a good year. Yeah, I, I have my champion, and I'm hopeful because there are four people above me who picked Illinois as their champion, and really? Illinois has already lost. Yeah. So, I mean, I have a chance, but I only have 180 points, and that is just not yeah. great at this point. The only person below me, makes me feel good, is Riley McCullough, <laughs> who <laughs> he does the sports podcast and with Dante and Ohio Tim, State. and he chose Ohio State. And Ooh, he only has rough. 170 points, so I feel really good that I'm beating Riley. Come on, Riley. So yeah, it was a tough one to call. Like I think it was after the first round, there are already no perfect brackets worldwide or oh, really? um, statewide. Well, whatever. Oral Roberts beating Ohio State like that. Yeah, that, that kind of threw it off. And then they they and beat they, another team. They beat Florida. Then I, <laughs> I was like, come on. Um, so in first agonizing place, watching that game. First place, we have Chips Ahoy. I was kind of frustrated with people who didn't use their real names. That's my brother Luke. Oh. Luke is Chips Ahoy. <laughs> So he looks, he's looking pretty good. Then we have, I think, uh, Samuel Smoker at number two. Okay, yeah. I don't know. We have some weird names. And then <laughs> tied for third is The Asian, which is the name that Alicia, my wife, chose. So she's beating the heck out of me. And neither one of us watched any basketball, really. So impressive. Boy, this is nice. Will, Bru- Will Brubaker even did his name twice. Yeah. Will Brubaker won Will Brubaker. Very convenient. And then we got Colson. Sitting at the number 10, Coleslaw. Coltrane. Coleslaw Coltrane. <laughs> 102, I respect that. And then number 11, Corey. He has 210 points. Love me some DQ. Uh, I guess hinting at the gift card this person's hoping to win. Oh, Vince Miller. Do you know Vince Miller? Vince Miller. I probably do if I, I see him. I think I know one. Yeah. If yeah, you're yeah, listening, yeah. Vince, okay, yeah, I do know. we okay. probably yeah. know you. Yep. If it's the same one. And I'm then you got me at number 13 and then Riley rounding it out, so... Yeah, it's been fun to watch. Yeah. I fell down on a bracket, but not not on here. But my bracket, my champion's still in. Actually, both my my finalists are still in. Which is? Baylor-Gonzaga. Same, yeah. With Gonzaga same. winning it all. That's but what I have, too. Man, it's, it's, uh, it's decent. It's definitely it's a mid-tier bracket this year. But it's <laughs> been – I think it threw it off. I mean, I think COVID changed a lot because some of these teams like like Florida played like right. seven fewer games than a lot of teams, yeah. and you had that you just didn't know. I feel like you could depend on good. the rankings as much. Yeah, right? you didn't really do much um, out of conference play, and yeah. so like you didn't really know how you matched up. So there's a lot of unknowns, and it's weird to have like a lot of like the names that are just like always in there, like Duke, North Carolina, which North Carolina was in there, but barely. Yeah, but they got beat in the first yeah. round, bad. Yeah, and then like second. no Duke, um, no Duke. Yeah, yeah Kansas strange. is still in there. No, Kansas got knocked out. Did they really? Yeah. By um, that hurts me. I forget who it was. Illinois got knocked out. Um, and then the other thing. Oh yeah, I was really proud of myself because I called the BYU upset by UCLA, and UCLA oh. looks good. And I then did not call they that paid, one. They played Texas Abilene in their next game, which was kind of strange because Texas Abilene was like a re- like a fourteen seed. Yeah. And they beat them too, and I also called them winning that round. So. Yeah, no, I was watching a little bit of the Kansas and USC is who they were playing in the second oh, round. Oh, that's right. And they got absolutely obliterated. Watching yes. them, like, they could get nothing going. Uh, USC won 85-51. So it was a tough night at the office. Yeah, and Texas lost to yeah. Texas Abilene Christian yeah. University. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, good night. I know. There was a lot of them that I did not, did not see coming. I think, though, I think you are going to end up with kind of four – big name schools in the final yeah, four. The, like these Cinderella runs, they usually yeah. only go a couple rounds and then you just you just eventually get outmatched. There's they're too deep, they're too big. And then they're gone. I mean that's what I'm hoping for because I didn't call anything super dramatic. No, I mean kind of predictable. Yeah, the one I thought 
I thought was a good bet. I thought Winthrop was a good bet to beat Villanova because Winthrop had been really hot, mm. but they did not beat Villanova. But Syracuse was a good bet to go on. You know, Syracuse is yeah. I right had now. Syracuse getting beaten like the second round. Yeah, same. I don't even know if I had them getting out the first round. Didn't happen for and me. Here they're they're looking really good right now. But I think March Madness is such a fun thing to fill out the brackets, and it just there's so many games happening so often. It's really fun, and you can watch them for free at least for three hours. Yeah, no, that's the. Yeah. They cut you off at three hours. That's what they say, but every time I refresh my page, it still is at <laughs> three hours. So if I just refresh or get on a new game, it restarts my countdown. So, Yes, I like that too. And since we got the the screen, because remember a oh, year yeah. ago we got the 50-inch screen down yeah. here in the publications room and then COVID and yeah. basketball got canceled. It was a real bummer. This year we can have it playing. So when are the next games? Were there any games today? Or Saturday. Saturday is yep, the next So you games? play the first two rounds and then you take like basically a week off. And then Saturday, Sunday, Monday I think is – That'd be Sweet 16 and Elite 8. And then take a week off, and then it's Final Four, and then that Monday championship. So probably the championships at night. So will we even get yeah. to watch any games here? Probably not. Probably not. No. That was a good Well, thought. Monday maybe. Next like next Monday. Okay. There might be some maybe like Elite 8 maybe. So, so maybe. well, okay, also I wanted to ask, did you see the thing about the um, the open letter that one of the women's – Coaches, women's team oh, coaches wrote rooms? to the NCAA. Yes, I did. Yeah. What did you think of that? I don't know. At first I was like, surely they have more than just, I mean, it's literally what, 10 like curling bars in their weight room. And then she showed them it. I was like, surely not. So I don't know. I didn't really follow the story at all. Yeah. But it, I, so I, I, I really don't know much about it. Yeah, I don't either. I just, I, f- I feel like I did see a video of just like, it was like a panning of the weight room and it was like, yeah. there's just absolutely nothing yeah. in here. And, and her um her letter was highlighting more than just the weight room. It mm-hmm. was just saying, yeah. I mean, it's which to be fair, it is kind of where the money's at. I mean, the men's tournament yeah, is way more I th- popular. I think her argument was that the NCAA is a nonprofit committed to oh. like tournaments and games for athletes, and right. she's like, you would never give women second rate textbooks in the classroom, but it feels like we're getting seriously second rate treatment when it comes to athletics. Uh, and so she was saying, "You guys aren't supposed to be in it for the money. It's a nonprofit." That was her argument. I didn't know the NCAA is a nonprofit. I guess that's where her argument would hinge. Yeah. Hmm. How would it be a nonprofit? Well, how? Why wouldn't it be? I mean, wouldn't it have to be? I was thinking it would be a because it's not profit. private. Hmm. It's like a public thing, right? I'm yeah. gonna look it up. Hold on. Like, what could it be compared to? But I mean, like, like uh. Even something like well, this might not this might be apples to oranges comparison, but like the SEC, the Southeastern Conference, like they have their own revenue and all that as a yeah, and so does the NCAA. Thing. I mean, they make right. tons of money, but I don't like it's money that okay. Here, let's just look this up. The NCAA organization in the United States that administers intercollegiate athletics. It was formed in 1906 as the Intercollegiate Athletic Association to draw up competition and eligibility rules for gridiron football and other intercollegiate sports. Of its roughly one billion in annual revenue, about eight hundred and twenty million comes from the Division One men's championship. Wow. wow! Largely, oh, this is in basketball. Okay, this is basketball. Largely through TV and marketing rights, the organization earns another one hundred twenty-nine point four million in March Madness ticket sales. So I wonder what they do. Mm. The money is used to fund NCAA sports and provide scholarships for college athletes. Distributed to Division One schools to assist with academic programs and services, and conference for programs that enhance officiating, compliance, minority opportunities, and more. So I think it is strictly speaking nonprofit, but then okay. like they're using the money that they make to further right. collegiate athletics. And I guess the argument she's making is that women are just as important as men, even though right. our program is not making as much money. Right. Hmm. So interesting. Definitely it is interesting. fascinating. But wouldn't it just follow that it, like it's Yes, the men and women are equal, but you follows in you can give in proportion with what you get from each sector, kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, because if if they're I mean, with how much money they made off of like the men's championship, I'd be curious to see the numbers compared to the women's championship. But I would imagine yeah, she had listed the number of how much revenue the women's tournament brings in, and I mean, it was significant. It wasn't. It could seem fair to be like a ratio based off of that kind of thing. Yeah, like a split well, percentage. but I think I think her argument is that we need decent facilities right. and decent stuff. Regardless of the money, it's like we need to be supported in a in a fair way. 
I can see that because, I mean, it's kind of the same thing, I think, that schools face, uh, that we face here. Like, the humanities yeah. department gets way less students right. here at the school. But we wouldn't want to say that the humanities are less important than right. any other degree here. Yeah. So we, we still want to put money and fund our English programs and our communication program so the students who go through that are equipped and empowered to succeed. Right. But there's a reason our outdoor leadership building is massive or like world missions building is massive yeah we don't really get communication a department is in the basement yeah and we actually got that taken away from us we don't even have a department anymore we just true. a yeah a science con- a concentration out, so. whatever yeah yeah thanks to you guys yeah technically i'm not a science major okay good I'm an education major with science as a focus. speaking of basketball tournaments you guys stay tuned because tomorrow night colin myself or no my english teacher said that's not the way you say it Colin and I and Kyle Byler are playing yep, a three-on-three basketball tournament here on campus. Mm-hmm. And so we're – well, I was going to – so we need a team name. So that could be something we try to come up with right now. I was thinking just something about, like, commuters because we're all commuters. There we go. But as I was I, – <laughs> I was going to sign up for our team, so I, like, I made the first J for my name. And right at that moment, I realized – I think the person signing me up was telling me, like, your team has to have – a girl, like it's intramural, no, co-ed. co-ed. I always get those two things mixed up. Yeah, intramural just be it'd be intramural co-ed. Yeah, it'd be it, both of those. It's things. both of those. Both things. Of those things. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's co-ed, and so I was then walking toward the library, and I passed this girl that I knew, and so I was like, "Hey, do you want to play on our team? Because we like need a girl." And she was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll play." So I think we're in. We're in. So I don't know if the name commuter works anymore. Uh, Three fourth commuter. The commuters and uh, it's good enough. Well, majority rules. Quarter commuter, three quarter. Yeah, I don't know. It's a we'll, long name. We'll figure something out. So if we win, we get two hundred bucks that we're gonna divide between four people. So it's fifty bucks yeah. a person. Speaking of getting free money, yes. There, if you ever needed a reason to get a COVID nineteen vaccine, outside of normal ethical whatever reasons. We have the reason to take all reasons. I mean, this is like your mom saying, if you do this, I will give you a piece of candy. Basically. Krispy Kreme has decided that they are going to give away free donuts to anyone with proof of vaccination all year long. What that means is you get one free original glazed donut every day all year long if you show them a valid vaccination card. Yeah, I mean, it's not even like, hey, go get a vaccine and swing by on your way home and get a free donut. Right. This is like, go get a vaccine, and every single day for the rest of the year on your way to work, come by and get a donut. This is good news. Do you got a, Did you get a vaccination? Are you vaccinated? No, I'm down down the list. Of, oh. Shoot, I thought you were. No, they have, been at, them. They have been at the school um, where I am at um, for teachers, but I'm, I'm technically not a teacher, so I'm still down the down the list a good bit. Yeah. Okay, I just seen an article that said anyone over the age of 16 is now eligible to get vaccinated oh, in okay. Georgia. Georgia. Um, I saw an interesting thread in response to Krispy Kreme articles, Krispy Kreme's um, deal that they're making by Leanna Wen, who's a, she's a doctor, like a, a health doctor. And she says this to Krispy Kreme. She says, hey, Krispy Kreme, I love that you want to thank people for getting the COVID-19 vaccine. Every incentive helps, and free donuts may help move the needle. I feel like there's a butt coming. However, <laughs> a conjunction. Donuts are a treat that's not good for health if eaten every day. Here's my suggestion for what to do instead. First, if someone indeed eats an original glazed Krispy Kreme donut every day as your offer provides and change no other aspects of their diet or exercise, they'd gain approximately 15 pounds by the end of 2021. I'm sure that's not your intention. Why not give vaccinated people a box of donuts to give an organ to give to an organization of their choice instead? They can bring it to their office, donate it to charity, share it with their friends, or eat it all by themselves if they really want. Do it as a one-time offer of appreciation. As a public health expert, I can't endorse a diet of daily donuts. Still, I appreciate Krispy Kreme's out-of-the-box thinking and hope that other companies will join in to incentivize vaccines. Okay. Well, Christina, what was her name? Leanna. Leanna. As a non-expert who knows virtually nothing about health, mm-hmm. I completely disagree. Absolutely. Because that's like saying, 
she needs if to you follow. make the park open for people every day, they're going to go spend too much time at the park. Like, just because something's free doesn't mean people are going to do it every single day. So I think, and what would you want Krispy? I mean, she just wants us to give it one box one time. Right. And this she's is way better. Her way of thinking of health is totally flawed, too. She needs to follow the science. Eating a Krispy Kreme donut every day drastically improves levels of happiness. <laughs> this is empirical right. science. Follow the science, doctor. Follow the science. No, but I mean, not inviting because it wouldn't make party. sense if they just said it. you can have it every day on Mondays and Fridays because we don't want you guys to get too fat. I think the onus is on the individual not to eat too many donuts yeah. here. Yeah. So pipe down. Let us have our donuts. <laughs> Absolutely. But if you've been vaccinated... Get to Krispy Kreme. I don't think yeah. we really have one close by. It's Anderson, isn't uh, it? Anderson, I think there's one. That'd be an incredible uh, detour. Cornelia. Oh, okay, on the Georgia. Yeah, on the Georgia yeah. side. Yeah. So you have to have your vaccination card mm-hmm. with you. Uh, you have to have you have to re- have received at least one of the two shots of the Moderna or Pfizer vaccine, or one shot of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine to qualify for the promotion. And a vaccine sticker is not valid. Just FYI. So if you're out there and you've done this, let us know. Yeah. Or bring us the donut. Yeah, be better. <laughs> or keep yours and buy us one and then bring it. Um, either one could work. So, Javen, um, tell me about some things in your life. Let's talk about things that have lasted us surprisingly long. Yes. First off, what brought this to your mind? Well, that's a good question. I was thinking about the fact that um, – I've been wearing the same pair of blue jeans for quite some time. And then there's this line to this song that I actually like the song, but it's like, all my life you have been faithful. Mm-hmm. All my life you have been so good. Right. And I just thought if you just isolated those two lines of the song, it would just apply to so many things in my life that weren't God. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> objects. So actually, there's this pair of blue jeans. It's the only pair of jeans that I wear. And uh, I bought them back when um, my friend Gabe and yeah. me and Mike, we were in Dick. Uh, Old Navy on Black Friday. And Gabe was like, you got to try these jeans. He's like, they're stretchy, but they're also jeans. They're I will tapered for, fit. They're, it's the athletic fit at yeah, Old Navy. I will vouch for Old Navy jeans. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'll give them a shot because I needed some jeans. And so I bought that pair of jeans. And like, that's been coming up on two years ago, I think. Yeah. That's like the only pair of jeans I've worn. So That's impressive. I All my, my old life. Navy jeans, I mean, not all my life. They, but they last. You have been faithful, right? Do you have something that's been not really? I was trying to think through them. I mean, like one thing I've had a shirt, honestly, since I was probably in <laughs> tenth grade. And you still wear it? I still wear it. Like I wear it to teach sometimes. It's like a it's like a dress shirt, um, American Eagle, and it still fits good. Uh, I guess it doesn't. I haven't grown too much since. I think it was tenth grade, something like that. Eleventh grade. I mean, I remember wearing it to school. Yeah. Um, so See, I just thought about seven that years the other day. Like I was thinking, it's such a gift when you stop growing because I remember as a yeah, kid, it was constantly like, "I love this shirt." Yep, but it I'm, doesn't cover my belly. It's button soon anymore. gonna be too small for me. Yep. Or like I'm gonna buy shoes and these actually fit, but I have to buy the size up because I'm I'm gonna grow through them before I wore them out. Yeah, that was a struggle. So now, and I'm also my wife would tell you I'm kind of a hoarder. So like I kind of I hate getting rid of stuff. Like if Same. it's been good to me, I'm yep. like I can't just get rid of it. And so, I will put it in storage, exactly. but I will not get rid of it because one day I will come back and one tell day my kids I will need about it. this. Or that. Yeah, I remember there was a shirt that I wore every year of high school. It was a it was a, um Aeropostale polo shirt. I wore it, I think, from 8th grade all the way to 12th grade. I wore it at least once every single year. So anyway, my other... Um, yeah, I remember that one. Blue and white? Yeah, it was blue. It had yeah. like stripes that yep, went big, down. Big stripes. Yeah, that was yeah. like cool oh, back yeah. in the day. It was like the four-inch stripes going right. across the the chest. So my mom bought me this pair of Sony headphones. It's also been very faithful to me. I think those have even been to Canada and back, haven't they? Yeah, I think I I think Jamaica, Canada, maybe not Canada. It might yeah. have been after that. And uh, just all over the place. And then there's this pair of gray New Balance shoes that I bought down in Florida when we were down there in Pinecraft for mm. a tournament one time. And me and my wife, Alicia, have this fight kind of about every week or two that I need to throw them away. <laughs> but I just don't want to. <laughs> because, like, they're still good. Yeah. They're, they have a few holes. And so we kind of made this deal that if I bought this new pair of Nike shoes, am I wearing them? No, I'm not wearing them now. That uh, I would get rid of my old ones. But they're still there. But they're still there. <laughs> nice. I just couldn't, man. Yeah. 
I think my problem is I tend to I, I tend to lose things before they can have that oh, lasting impact. So true. So like headphones, no, they're gone. <laughs> um, any kind of phone, electronic device, gone. I imagine Even my shoes. the things that I lose, which this is not boastful in any way. I say this to my own shame. I think I've lost four sweatshirts over the course of this winter and even in like the past two months. That's rough. Yeah, like we have for the ministry, um, the way we got yeah. this year, like merch, sweatshirts. There are still some people who haven't got their Christmas gift because we just haven't seen them yet to give it to them. Yeah. And I've already lost mine. Yeah. Very sad. That so, is sad. Yeah, I tend to lose it before I can really serve that faithfulness. But I always, in the back of my mind is this dream that I probably left it somewhere and someone probably had the great joy of picking it up and I hope they're still using it and it's serving them well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I haven't had, I can't think of really anything that I've had for that long that has served me for that long. Um, yeah, yeah, I won't talk about it. <laughs> Never mind. Moving on. Um, okay, since, well, this is what yeah. you were going to mention. Is it Gabe's jeans? No. I mean, since we, we brought up um, Gabe, our old friend, just shout out to the record he set yeah. in high school. He wore the same pair of blue jeans oh, without washing them. 30? On a consecutive daily basis for 10 weeks. Was it 10 weeks then? Yes. Ten, I lost track of it. 10 weeks, no washing. That is a record that will probably yeah. stand forever at Foothills Christian School. The joke was that he climbed out of them at bedtime <laughs> and they stood upright until he jumped back in them in the morning. Yes, but don't jeans get softer the more you I know. Wear that's, I always yeah. try to wear my jeans a couple times. Maybe after like six weeks washes. it starts to go the other way. I could definitely see that. Yeah, yeah. All right, so... The next thing we have today is an article that Colin found from The Atlantic, uh, written by Alan Lightman. Oh, yes. It's called Miracles and the Multiverse. Do you want to take us through this? Okay. So a couple different things about this article, but it's basically, it's not as much about multiverses as much as it is trying to understand the ground for what claims are being made about the multiverse, because the multiverse basically is this idea... Um, that I, I was kind of surprised. I read that uh, in the article, he, he seemed to give it credit for like a majority of scientists hold this view. Um, did you get that when you were reading it? Which view? Um, the, the majority of scientists hold that there's like to a type of multiverse theory. See, I don't know what that means. So basically what it means is... I did read the article. Yeah. I mean, the multiverse is basically like we are one universe out of many. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that the because like even if you trace back to any kind of like if you trace back with um say like you know what majority of scientists would trace back with big bang cosmology mm -hmm. but they're finding now that there's different things in the world and even about how they're understanding the big bang that are making them think there had to be cause even there and so they're thinking the cause may have been from a different universe um hence multiverse and okay. that we could be a competing universe among many universes and the universes could vary and i'm the worst person to be talking about this but the universe i feel like you're vary. the worst because i don't know this yeah, so. well i'm not the best for sure um but the universes can vary as far as like how many dimensions are occupied oh, in them wow. um so like we occupy it depends on who you ask but roughly five and so some like time space time space i'm gonna look it up yeah um but anyway, so like some of these other universes, they're suspected to maybe have like 11 to even up to 20 or 24, I think is the most. Um, so isn't okay. I'm that, not exactly. It has to do with like string theory. Yes, it has to do with string but there theory. Are more, yeah. Which wow. there's like different the uh, oh, energy. Oh, the theory of relativity says we live in four dimensions. Right. String theory says it's 10. What are dimensions and how do they affect reality? Well, I would like to find out. Let's see if this article will tell me. Yeah, I don't know how you would uh, break that down in any kind of simple fashion. Well, this is not a simple fashion at all. There's a lot of diagrams and graphs. I was going to say, if you can understand. break down relativity in about a minute, um, it would be pretty impressive. But anyway, um, but this has been, I think it's been because... What's the helpful way I think of it is how science has progressed over time and how we understand the universe. So if you trace back to 1600s and Isaac Newton, you know, the myth of the apple falling on his head, whatever else, and he charts, and he actually gets some good mathematical equations for how the universe works, but he comes up and basically 
um, has the metaphor for the universe as a fixed clock, which is basically that God was the cause and wound up this clock mm-hmm. that works together and it's all predictable. And if you just find the right formula or whatever else, you can really predict all of what is happening. Yeah, and so the article is is focusing on it's called miracles in the multiverse. Right. So I think it's interacting with how do how does science interpret miracles, or can miracles even exist in a scientific world? Right, which is that why that's why I was saying for for Isaac Newton that that type of um, that kind of clock mechanism way of viewing the world and even of science. So science was the pathway to unlock the secrets of the world, um, and so that continued on to the modern era until. Uh, into the modern era until a lot of Einstein and theory of relativity came in in which they found out that the way you experience time is relative mm-hmm. to where you are in the universe. Yeah. Time um, is not necessarily it's a not, completely fixed. It's not a constant. Not a constant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like we think it is. Um, yeah. We always think of it time as can kind. be bent. Um, all these things. So it, the theory of relativity, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but right. basically it's that, um, a lot of understandings of even science are very relative and like chaos theory to where basically you get to a point where um, like we will never be able to accurately, completely accurately predict weather just because there it is a whole universe of causality. Therefore, you'd have to be able to compute a whole universe, mm-hmm. um, which is which is anti-scientific because it can't be done. Um, and so I think what this article is saying then is now that that is the case where scientists are having to theoretically approach these issues because it is beyond the era or beyond cannot, the realm of you can't empirical. Map it. You cannot put it on paper. Right, yeah. right. It's not empirically provable. Right. And so now that there's now theories of how this works, like multiverse, um, uh, I think there's nine theories, I think if I remember right, but I don't even know all of them. But anyway, so I think the article's whole point is that Basically, this has leveled the playing field with religion and science in that it's kind of done the emperor has no clothes on the Newtonian way of looking at the world in which it's a fixed clock. Because what it does is it pulls back that curtain and says, um, actually, the world's way more complicated than that, even at a scientific level. Mm -hmm. And that to keep blindly believing in something like a multiverse, which cannot be empirically proven, is fine, but you have to recognize that that is ultimately a more of scientism and not science, meaning science functioning as making a religious claim yeah. of understanding which the world. is really interesting. And that so yeah, which kind of gets to the heart. That was a long yeah, backdrop, sure. but that's kind of to where the article is pointing. So he writes in the inconvenient truth about both of these excl- explanations, which Colin was detailing, of the fine tuning problem. Intelligent design on one hand and the ex- existence of a multiverse on the other is that neither can be proved. Both must be taken as a matter of faith by their respective supporters. Believers cannot prove the existence of God, much less what God's intentions were in creating the universe. It is likely that scientists will never be able to prove that the uni- that other universes exist. The different universes in the hypothesis- hypothesized multiverse can never communicate with one another or for the infinite future. So... Basically, what he's saying is whether or not you believe in God, you're still exercising faith in your belief. Right. Same as if you believe in a multiverse, it is still an exercise of faith to hold to that multiverse. He writes a little further down, so we have reached a paradox. The commitment to a totally scientific view of the world has led to theories that may be unscientific, according to Popper's definition of science. In a sense, the miracle believers and the miracle non-believers have found a bit of common ground. This is not to say that the transcendent experience of miraculous phenomena has somehow fused with the ones and zeros of modern science, or that the worldviews of believers and non-believers have merged. But both non-believers and believers have sworn allegiance to concepts that cannot be proved. Those passionate beliefs must originate from somewhere deep inside our minds, a secret room that all of us share, vital and primitive like the ancient rituals of our ancestors. This is, I think this is so good. It's super good. And I think this is why... Well, I in our Google Doc, I just I'll read the comment that I make. I said, "This is why I'm not very interested in proving God's existence or the historicity of Christ or apologetics in general. The aim is to prove beyond reasonable doubt what is the truth. And when you try to do this, this leaves no room for the believer whose work is to believe. At the return of Christ, all will be revealed. Until then, we have the gift of space in which we believe, work, and live in faith. So I think the point, <laughs> I think the point I'm trying to make here, 
is that no, science cannot prove or not prove the existence of God, but that is a fundamentally like that is a gift. That is grace. Right. Because if we could objectively know that God exists, it would be impossible to believe in him because there would be no belief left. It right. would be completely obvious. That's kind of like the uh you know, we often I think wonder like if God is real, why doesn't he show himself to us? If mm-hmm. God is real, why doesn't he make it obvious that he exists? And I think the answer to that has to be because then there would be no faith. Mm-hmm. There would be no work for believers to do. Yes. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, because I, I'm totally with you. And the thing I liked about this article, which is something, uh, is how it kind of piggybacked on some stuff, some ways of thinking that James K. Smith has really helped me with in what he calls plausibility structures um, or imminent frames. But it's basically like the interpretive lens you use on on reality. But he he maps it to where like he would chart like what you're saying about wanting to prove, you know, prove God's existence mm-hmm. scientifically, whatever else. He says that is really if we look at that, even if you're a Christian or the atheist, whichever side of the debate, if you're trying to prove God doesn't exist from science or trying to prove God exists through science, yeah. you are still you are. Um, that is more of an expression of an underlying um, uh, like commitment, commitment. Yeah. yeah. Um, or what he calls yeah, plausibility structures. And he says, what we need to do is take even a further step back right. and look at what is the criteria for believability. And what he says is that we are in the modern age of scientism, which is the only thing of believability is that which can be empirically proven. Yeah, so like the ultimate thing, like if you really want to know something right. exists, it can be empirically proven through right. which we're kind of moving. Yeah, we're kind of moving out of that with the postmodern turn yeah, a little absolutely. bit. But that was the claim of postmodernism, right. right? Was that no science itself is a religious way of thinking. Like science is a narrative. Science is right. not God. Science isn't the biggest context that we can possibly use to think about things. It's one of the many. Right. That was the postmodern claim. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, Leotard had a quote about that, but I forget. But anyway, um, but yeah, it's it's they're all claiming. He just says we need to take a step back and instead of worrying so much about the expressions of belief, worry about our believability. And in that way, the the le- the, the playing field is leveled between mm-hmm. science and faith. And I think that helps a lot because there's always seems to be this tension um, the last especially decade or two of between science and faith. And I think if they could see as like um, they're on the same ground and I think – for Christians in the heavy into the apologetics of mm-hmm. scientism. And like, again, I'm not saying that I think, you know, doing research on the historicity of Christ absolutely has a place. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and there's been fantastic work and should continue to be work and discussion there. But I think seeing it as I have to have all my empirical eyes dotted and T's crossed for, and, and be convinced that way that, Christ is who he says he is. Mm-hmm. Objective facts. Objective facts. Yeah. yeah. Um, that I arrive to because I am an autonomous individual mm-hmm. who's rational and I have been persuaded. I've done my own research. Right. I've yeah. done my own research and been persuaded this is the better case. I just don't think that's how humans work. Um, and, and I don't think that's how faith works. So. Yeah. So I've probably said this before, but I'm really just fascinated. Kierkegaard, the existential kind of position is that faith saving faith faith in god mm. is the leap of faith so like the individual has to come to a place where it's not clear either way like you can't mm. <laughs> you cannot empirically know and have faith those two things are in contest so like you come to a place where you're ready to make a leap of faith of belief right and that is where you can enter into relationship with god so where then to dig just a little bit deeper then, so where then is that nuanced line between um, that kind of faith mm-hmm. and belief and a type of like um, what you could maybe call a fundamentalist blind faith, which yeah. is you find a question that um, approaches your faith in uncomfortable ways and asks things of your faith, and it's, well, you just have to take it by faith. Yeah. Kind of thing. No, that's a good question. Like, I think um, – I think when Kierkegaard was writing, he was writing in Europe, in Christendom, and so everything was Christian. Hmm. You were Christian just 
by virtue of the fact that you were born into that country. You're like, well, everyone else is Christian. I'm a Christian. Right. And so I think what he's pushing back against is this notion that just because you're associated with something, you are also that thing. He said he's trying to emphasize the individual level. So, like, it has to be a choice that you make as an individual and you have to decide to believe. You're not just you don't just believe by virtue of knowing or or maybe we could say, like, you're not just right about this stuff by virtue of being a scientist. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And but I, I see your point because you, you could I mean, you, you can can shut have, down conversation and, yeah. and deep shut down deepening your. Or faith. I've heard the voice of God, and so there's no yeah. more conversation to be had because right. God told me. Yeah, right, right. Uh, this this like faith should always happen in community. It should never right. happen only as individuals. Right. right, and I think also within that, within that kind of fundamentalist perspective would be the assumption that faith is an arrival and and. Mm. Yeah. You know, not a lifelong journey of walking humbly with God. Um, so I think, I think there'd be that, and then I think also like, also what you could call like a, um, with faith also having like an epistemic humility, and like what I mean by that is like a humility of how much you can know. So I think yeah. holding tight right. to God as revealed in Scripture and crystallized in the creeds, you hold tight to that. That's the mm-hmm. leap of faith. But it's that faith first, and then, as Augustine, mm-hmm. as Saint Augustine said, you know, it's faith first, and then you, it's faith seeking that understanding. Yeah, then. faith comes first, and and you spend the rest of your life working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, because I think, the op the polar the opposite of that is that I'm not going to believe until I have all the objective facts right. laid out for me, and science has proved that God exists. Mm-hmm. And so then I can shut down that discussion when I have something challenged <laughs> yeah. to me, because no, it's objective. Yeah, God, His existence will be proven one day. When Christ returns, right. but when that happens, you can't believe anymore. Right, <laughs> there's which, no more room yeah. to believe. Which I saw you you pulled in the quote from Andrew Peterson's song, which yeah, one day there'll be no more faith. Yeah, when there's no, no more, more hope, faith. because all that will be left is love, because we see Christ face to face. So, anyway, very fascinating article on the Atlantic. Oh yeah, I, I see that. I put this quote in there that I also wanted to read. I just thought this was cool. Oh, we yes. don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but it was one of the articles I had to read for class, written by a guy named Jensen. I think that's his last name. He says, we wait endlessly for the word of love, but it is not spoken, for none of us dares to speak it. If I promise myself to you before you promise yourself to me, I give up my life in that promise. I die. And only your answering promise, of which I cannot be sure, would be my resurrection. And so I wait, and so do you, and the word of love is not spoken, to which our humanity would be the response. Um, Just a little bit more. I love that. The word by which we might live, to which our humanity is the response, is still yet to be spoken, and we do not anticipate it. But we have a guaranteed promise that it will be spoken. The future remains the unknown future, but it is in known hands. And then this part I thought was really good. And whoever spoke to Jesus that word of love that called him again to life, the word that he awaited from us and did not hear, that is God. Wow. So, yeah, I thought this was really cool. That's really So good. what he's saying is like to be to live the Christian life is to speak and to love people without a guarantee that it's going to come back to you. Like right. it is an act of faith. And he says that's what Jesus did. He spoke that word and we killed him. We crucified him. Right. We did not return that word of love. But it was in faith and God, but God spoke did. that word to him and raised him up again. Yeah. So it's like there's room and there's work to do to believe before you're vindicated. I think that's such a quote. Right. And I think that, you know, in instead of our focus being on like I think a lot of times we judge our faith on how certain yeah. we are of yeah. our convictions. And isn't apologetics built on the fact that you can defend your faith against all right, like onslaughts? Right, which I think defending your faith is fine at an intellectual level, but like at a faith level, for certainty, it, it seems like certainty and faith have become somewhat of a synonym, or at least I've heard them. I yeah. can't say that as yeah, yeah, yeah. data point, yeah. but I've heard them used interchangeably kind yeah. of that the level of your faith is de- is determined by the level of your certainty. And I don't know that that's, that's true because your faith is like what it's saying. It's a promise. It's a, mm-hmm. um, there's been good work that even at the etymology of the Greek word would be allegiance mm-hmm. um, for yeah. faith. Um, what's the word? Pistis, I think. Yeah, I've um, heard that word. Anyway. Yeah, well, I think as we, as, as cultural kind of norms um, shift, sometimes it's really looked at as ignorant to believe in God. Like, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, it'd be interesting to talk to someone older than me, but I kind of think that was more yeah. even, like, 
20, 30 years ago. Right. It was like, if you're a person of science, you don't believe in God. Like, right. maybe maybe a little longer even. Which, yeah. But I don't think we're really there anymore. Like, if you believe in science, I mean, if you believe in God now, I don't think that's really looked down on, is it? No, I don't really think so. At least not. I mean, it would depend on the circles depend you're on, in. Yeah. Um, I've, I've read of some professors in, in higher ed and, and colleges and things like that where it is pretty frowned upon but not as much because of belief in god but in because of beliefs of what convictions you hold then like because morality. of morality yeah. morality yeah uh, but as far as like if you want to have a god sure fine just watch your morals your morals <laughs> are whatever yeah homophobic whatever yeah. um so i've heard of some of those stories but yeah i don't think because but i think there's been a shift in even um like because in 20 30 years ago was the um the new atheism came on the scene which was like you know the four horsemen or of that or like richard dawkins um uh who are the other ones sam harris mm. and yeah. i can't remember the other four but like this hyper antagonism towards god um basically like it is a completely ludicrous and stupid mm-hmm. thing to believe in god which is i mean a lot of dawkins a lot of his books were like that but like if you look at older atheism or even atheism that's took taken a more postmodern turn it's very it has it's very okay with making a claim to God. It's again the the issue is more um like I was even reading um uh, I was reading of Albert Camus. I think he was a French philosopher. I read a book by Camus one time. Oh really? Was yeah, it good? He wrote like novels too. Yeah. 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 He was it like he was like... a French philosopher of the eighteen hundreds, um a postmodern philosopher. But he told a group of Franciscan monks, he basically said he said, I, I, I should pull up the quote for sure because i'm a little fuzzy on it um but he basically tells them like i i see what you are saying and all that and i'm fine with you believing that Mm -hmm. but the reality of life i just can't quite capture your hope oh here here's the quote here um he said i share with you the same revulsion from evil but i do not share your hope and i continue Mm -hmm. to struggle against this universe in which children suffer and die um, but it was very much kind of a, a soft atheism that, that saw yeah. the same as that Christianity saw, but Christianity took the leap of faith, whereas this took more of the leap of, um, you know, cynicism or nihilism or sure. something. Um, yeah, I think as a kid, I kind of always maybe thought that real maturity in the faith mm-hmm. looked like being able to just combat any any kind of challenges to your faith with just like you know the ins and well, outs of the argument. I seen yeah. whatever <laughs> actually yeah. geography or, actually can ham so actually yeah. I'm right rocks actually line up this way yeah. and if you use yeah. this dating method and it's like yeah, you have to become sure. a PhD in absolutely everything to yeah. have a mature faith and then I guess like once I came here to college and talked to people in our Bible and theology department you talk to people with PhDs who have been thinking about this for a long time like they still have questions and they still sometimes kind of doubt what they believe. And like that tension is actually okay. And it's not mm-hmm. about just being able to slay people who want to try and prove you wrong because right. those conversations really don't seem to be that fruitful. Anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, John Foreman said this thing one time that I've always remembered. He said, um, like in life or especially when you go through hard times, faith and doubt are equally logical options. They're both, they're both valid options for you. And that's when you get to choose to believe. And it's not because belief is always objectively the right thing. It's that that's when you get to choose to believe. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. And go ahead. Well, I was just going to recommend the book that you gave to me, which I think is so good and helpful is um, who's afraid of postmodernism Yeah. by James K. Smith. He, he really gets into um, the different ways of knowing and how that shifted throughout time and how we've, we have now kind of moved away from this science as the all overarching way of knowing. It, it, it's really helpful, I think, to to get a handle on it's something I'm still getting a handle on, but of how our ways of knowing our epistemology changes from time to time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, yeah, it's what you're saying. Kind of those shifts in thinking about how we approach faith and what mature faith looks like. Because I would definitely credit, yeah. Um, like like the school has been helpful, but then yeah, especially what you're saying, the work of James K. Smith. But then it's helped me even go back to things that I would have had would have been influenced by when I was younger and 
kind of like make them click into place. Like kind of the, mm. the homelessness and loneliness echoed in a lot of Rich's songs and how he spoke in Rich Mullins songs yeah. and concerts. Um, kind of set forth in me um, a, a, a realization that that is a little bit more what mature faith is, is Did looking you just like. pull up the last document? Um, from last week? No, I was actually pulling up. Oh, okay. I was pulling up something with um, it's Rich Mullins and R. A. Dickey. Do you know who he is? He was pitcher? a he was a knuckleballer pitcher. Yeah, yeah. The, um, don't tell me. It was a it was a blue team, right? Two of them actually. Um, Missouri. No. It's not from Missouri. No. The Dodgers. Huh. Okay, I give up. No. Um. He pitched for both the uh, Mets and the Blue Jays. Oh, okay, interesting. I think along with some other – I think he even – he pitched for the Braves a little bit too, I think. Really? Yeah. Anyway, um, but no, uh, he kind of echoes – because a verse that got me thinking that changed how I thought too was – I think it's First Thessalonians 5.18 when it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, mm-hmm. for it's not you who works but God who works in you. But in that, basically capturing this divine mystery that you work out your salvation through the guidance of the Spirit – and that's what you spend your life doing. Or in the words of R.A. Dickey, he says, the point isn't to arrive. The point is to seek, to walk humbly with God, to keep walking and keep believing, even though, you know, there'll be times when you make mistakes and you feel lost. Oh, yeah, that's good. Um, and, and that's a lot how, that's a lot of what came through in in Rich's songs, too. Um, he said the only way we can possibly do anything meaningful to God is to be who he made us to be, which means wrestling with God it means doubting also believing um, mm-hmm. and as John Foreman says as well doubting our doubts and believing our beliefs yeah um, I like that quote of his too yeah Paul says that we have been saved we are being saved and we will be saved right and I don't think God is waiting for us on the other side of our figuring everything out so that we can be real Christians like he's he knows that it's hard for us to believe but he's with us in that right Okay, before we wrap up, one more quick story. My car. What happened to your Jandis, car? Jandis. My lovely car, Jandis. Have you seen the movie Megaminds? No. Nope, but no, when no I, Masterminds. Oh, no. no. Uh, but when I think Jandis, I think Jandis because I'm not too far out from having a child, and Jandis is a type of, like, skin disease kind of thing. That oh, I thought you were about to say that was a name you were considering for it. No, but it's the kind of thing that like if they get it too bad, they have to go and like have a special kind of lamp on them because it's like it like really darkens and reddens their skin, I think. I'm Interesting. Anyway. No, Jandis is but my Jandis, car. Not Very small little white car, three cylinders. So I was on the way to school on Friday and I hit a pothole and the shock like sprung up through whatever keeps hold of it on the top and like push it up into the hood. So now when I go over bumps, I mean, I, I have an appreciation now for what cars must have been like, which probably didn't have really any shock or suspension yeah. when they were first built. Let me tell you, you feel every single oh, bump. I, I could imagine that. Also, I was going to tell you, I had my senior exam, communication oral exam today. Oh, yeah, I did that. Yeah. And you're here, so. Yeah, I made it. I think, I think it went okay. I got a provisional pass, which they said everyone who has not failed has okay. gotten a provisional pass except for this one girl who was apparently really, really sharp, just outright passed. So oh. kudos to her, no whoever kidding. she is. This is like six years ago. So provisional pass just means there's a few areas you need to brush up on, but otherwise you pass. So thank the Lord. I mean, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I'm currently working on a philosophy of education paper. So yeah, that's kind of my educational. We could critique your one news. paragraph of it. <laughs> When's it due? Uh, April 12th. You got a month. 20 days yeah yeah i'm the worst part's getting rolling the hard part is like how do you you have to summarize like what a learner is in one paragraph roll (laughs) and then you have like teacher and like three subheadings of that anyway doesn't brian regan have a bit about learn a learner i'm a lifelong learner lifelong learner yeah also you just had a birthday oh yeah what did you do for your birthday anything exciting yes started working on a deck project at our house so my dad and siblings and mom were so kind and they came over and helped me start working on this and my wife made me a fantastic supper and then worked on it till like dark opened some gifts and went to bed very happy nice it was a lovely day so how far did you get on it so currently at we started at a week from week from yes or tomorrow 
and put the steps on last night. So floor, steps, all that. I just got to put railing, basically. Nice. Did you stain so, it, or is it just like? It'll be stained, but it's it's made on treated wood, so it has to dry out first before so, before so you don't see all, all the moisture in there. So it'll be like probably between thirty and sixty days before I stain it. Nice. So, but that's it should be finished in not too long. That's gonna add value to your house. Yes, much value because <laughs> we have a door coming that we're gonna bust out the window and put a door there so you can walk out to the deck from inside the oh, house. Oh yeah. Uh, but the doors, everything's behind schedule because of COVID, so the door won't be here till May. There's no roof on this deck, is there? No, nope. <laughs> it is uncovered. Nice. Also, one other thing of good news. Yeah. I got an email from Kristen Childs today. Oh, now, for I those seen of you that too. For those of you who don't know, uh, Kristen Childs sends an email. She is um, like the head of the financial aid office, and you get an email from her at the end of every semester. And at the beginning of every semester, reminding you of how much you owe, and she, when you need to pay. God bless her. She's relentless. Oh, I know. If she's, you haven't paid before the semester. Yes, well, she's really nice. I've had to work through some yeah, stuff with but her. also relentless. Financial aid stuff. <laughs> yes, she is relentless, but she's very nice. But I got an email today saying how you need to get all your payment information, all this for the fall semester and sem- summer semester. But no. I just deleted it with such joy. There is no <laughs> summer and no fall semester. I know. Because we're, we're really winding it this down. This is it. So that was a joyous occasion seeing that. No and doubt. Saying, don't even need to cycle that back in my memory. Don't need to write anything on the calendar. Don't I'm owe free. any more money to this I school. still owe money, but well, it's not for that any semester. more money. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. Thanks, well, thanks for everybody. hanging around with us. Episode 9. We will be back next week, and we'll look more at the brackets, see if I have increased in the rankings at all, hopefully. Overtake my wife and my brother. But until then, hope you guys have a great week, and we will see you again soon.